You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Let's now turn to the scriptures. We're going to be in John chapter 12 today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's a hardback black one in the back. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd like to give you one today. There's some, we have some ESV the story Bibles out in the, in the foyer, and we'd love to send you home with one of those so that you're reading the Bible uh, on a regular basis. So John chapter 12, verses 9 through 19. It says, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on the account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is God's word. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning again, everyone. We're going to be talking today, uh, if you haven't already caught on, about Jesus the King. This is Palm Sunday. Um, it's a, a unique Sunday for us. Uh, every year to, uh, to worship Jesus and to look at him in this role, this position as king. Uh, for those of you who might not know, we're in a series, it's kind of a long extended series here, uh, the first part of the year, and it's been called, titled, Recentered. The idea is that we are recentering our focus on Jesus, and we're doing that by looking at some of the metaphors throughout the New Testament uh, that describe Jesus. And of course, today's uh, metaphor is Jesus as King. Uh, so what I'd like to do this morning is I... I I have several ideas in my head of what I would like to accomplish in this sermon this morning. One is to obviously convince you, if you are not convinced, that Jesus is the King. Uh, The second thing that I'd like to do is convince you that Jesus is not a conventional King. He's not a King like you may think of a King. Uh, He doesn't function exactly the same as maybe a king that you've read about in history. There's something very unique about Jesus, and we'd like to try to explore that and bring that out this morning. And then I would like to pose to you the question of whether or not you are in allegiance to this king. Uh, Being able to believe that he is the king, understanding the kind of king he is, is your allegiance there? Are you with King Jesus this morning? Uh, So to do that, I'd like for us to sort of time travel a little bit. I'd like for us to go back in the scriptures. I'd also like for us to go back in history a bit. So you're going to need your Bibles to do this. If you don't have a Bible and you want to grab one, as David pointed out, there's some black bound Bibles in the back on the rack by the sound booth. I'd love for you to turn in your Bible and read with me as we go along here, okay? So what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask you to go back now and visit with me a place in the New Testament. It is before the story that you see today uh, of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, We're going to go back a little bit further. We're going to go back just after the birth of Jesus, and that's where we're going to kind of begin here. And I would like to look at that, that window of time where the Magi arrived and they worshiped Jesus. All right, this is Matthew chapter 2, all right? Uh, This is the visit of the wise men, if you will. And uh, it begins in verse 2. It says there in verse 2, if you'll follow along with me in your Bibles, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, 
wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So out of Persia comes these wise men, all right? Um, And they were saying or asking, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So here we have this revelation that this new baby born, this, this son of God, God with us, Emmanuel, he is born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose. So there was a significant uh, natural occurrence in the heavenly bodies at the time of Jesus' birth when this star arose, all right? You have to keep in mind that wise men from Persia were very involved in astrology and astronomy. And for them, the two kind of blended or mixed together, if you will. And so they were constantly watching the stars, not so much just to predict the future, uh, but to understand what was going on and what kinds of things would re- repeat themselves and so forth. And so they looked at, gazed at and looked at the stars and, and tried to learn from them. And so they saw this star that was unique. Uh, in its day. It was different from what they had seen year after year and season after season before this. It was a new thing, all right? And so they said, we saw this star rise and we have come to worship him. Now in verse 3, it says that when Herod the king, the natural king in in the region, appointed king in the region, heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And now they're pulling back from the Old Testament here, and they're, they're bringing up to, uh, to this information up to Herod, and they're saying, here's what it says in the, in the Old Testament. It says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. From you will come a ruler. From you will come one who is a king, one who has authority to rule over the people, and he will shepherd the people of the land of Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men. Now, there's a reason why Herod is so particular here and so aggressive, uh, overt uh, in this. Herod is not a secure man. If you read historically, this man has a lot of insecurity in his rule as a king in his kingdom, all right, in his domain. So much to the point, he was a very wicked man, so much to the point that he actually murdered his own wife for fear uh, of losing his kingdom. He murdered his, had his own sons murdered as, uh, because he feared the, the loss of his kingdom. So this man is, is in some ways quite crazy, if you will. And so he summons these wise men secretly uh, to ascertain from them what time the star had appeared. And so in verse 8, then it says, He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Can you just see this crazy thing building here? And he is obviously working in a way to try to be covert, to find out where this child, this child king is at the time. And it says that after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star, this light in the heavens that they had seen when it rose in Persia, when they, it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they gave him these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
This is an amazing story. These, these learned men from a far and distant land see this star rise up and appear in the heavens. And from this they ascertain. Now, they very likely, because of Daniel having been in Persia at one time, and, and, and the, the prophecies and the words and messages of Daniel, they very well probably understood this prophecy about this king coming. And when they see this star and they inquire about this and the timing, certainly some things start to click for some of these wise men. And uh, so they come. Now, they may have been three. We don't know that. Uh, in actuality, they brought three gifts. And so we sort of, from three gifts, deduced that there were three wise men. But there could have been others as well. It could have been a multitude of people who came. But regardless, they came from this distant land. This required a great amount of faith on the part of these people to believe that because they saw this heavenly body appear in the heavens, that this was a sure sign of this one, this king who is born for the Jews. And so they come, and there's this covert thing that they sort of seem to to catch on to, and a dream sort of verifies it out, and so they leave, and they go in another direction. But they have validated, they have affirmed, they have established that Jesus is king born to the Jews. All right? Now, if you go back just a little bit, there's something here that I think we look at, and, and, it, and if you'll give me the patience to do it, I want us to look at this genealogy that just is just laid right ahead of this story of the Magi and their visitation. At the beginning of Matthew, it sort of gets laid out here, and I want you to see the progression here and what happens because I think it's really, really important to the whole of the message of Jesus being a king, all right? So if you, if you back up into Matthew chapter 1, and you begin at verse 1, it says it is a book of genealogy, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then it says the son of David, all right? And then it says the son of Abraham. So this genealogy uh, fetches itself all the way back to Abraham. And then here's how it goes. And and you can see it here in, in the scriptures as we go through it. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac's the father of Jacob. Jacob's the father of Judah. Judah's the father of Perez. Perez is the father of Hezron. Hezron is the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab is the father of Nashon. Nashon is the father of Solomon. Solomon is the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of King David. We see the lineage from Abraham all the way to David, who is appointed king over Israel. David was the king who was appointed by the prophet for the people of Israel because they wanted a king. They didn't want to be be ruled by God alone. They wanted a king. They wanted a man. They wanted a, a physical being to rule over them. And so here's the lineage from Abraham when he was called out by God to be God's chosen people. Now we have this lineage and it shows it birth by birth by birth all the way down to King David. But listen, it goes further. It says then, and David was the father of Solomon and Solomon the father of Rehoboam and Rehoboam uh, was, was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asaph. Asaph of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat of Joram. Joram of Uzziah. Uzziah of Jotham. Jotham of Ahaz. Ahaz of Hezekiah. Hezekiah of Manasseh. Manasseh of Amos. Amos of Josiah. And Josiah the father of Jeconiah. And that brought the Israelites to the time of the deportation into Babylon. And if you, if you add up these particular names in each of the sequences, you'll see that it is 14 generations. It is 14 generations from the time of Abraham to the time of King David. It is 14 generations from the time of King David, David to the deportation into Babylon. And then in verse 12, it says that after that deportation, after that that disbursement, if you will, of the the, the Jews, of the Israelites into Babylon, then uh, Jeconiah, he he is the father of Sheatiel. Sheatiel is the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel of Abiud. Abiud is the father of Eliakim. Eliakim is the father of Azor. Azor of Zadok. Zadok of Achim. Achim of Eliakim. Eliud. Eliud is the father of Eliezer. Eliezer of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. Jacob is the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. 
of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Another 14 generations have come along here, okay? And so now we have this birth of Jesus. And it tells us in verse 17, it lays it out. These are all the generations from Abraham to David. They were 14. From David to Babylon, 14. From Babylon to Jesus, 14 generations that happened. All right? So we have this amazing lineage. We have it preserved. It's laid out for us. We see that as any legitimate king would be established. It is through bloodline. It is through heritage. It is through lineage, if you will. And so we see from Abraham this lineage being laid out and clarified for us. So we should have no problem with saying that Jesus is to be a king. He is the king like King David was the king. He deserves that. He has right to that. He belongs in that position. But something else is in here. And I want to pull it out for you. Because verse 18 says, it begins to tell us about the birth. It describes how Jesus was born. And and it says something absolutely powerful. It says, now when the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, meaning from all of these generations down to here, we have this in time. Jesus is being born. This is how it took place. All right. Now, if we just read that and, and, and sort of started to think about what to expect, we would probably think, oh, we're going to get some details of how he was born. Well, that's in a different gospel, and you can get those. But here's the important piece that lays here. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, legally given over to Joseph. Before they came together, meaning before there was a sexual contact or or culmination of a marriage between the two of them, it says she was found to be with child. What child? This Jesus, the Christ. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Whoa! Now, we have another dimension here. Not only is Jesus king and rightfully so through lineage through generations but the unique thing is that he is a unique king something has shifted here he is born of the spirit of god this lovely and precious young woman has been entrusted with an amazing opportunity here and that is to birth The Son of God. God with us. God in flesh. The Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. This Word is taking on form and body. And is being born in a natural sense through a woman, Mary, into this world. To be a king, rightly a king by lineage through his his earthly father. But he is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Meaning he is a different kind of king than all the kings prior to him and so here we are all right now we think of of this and we we think back to to this birth and and we celebrate it and we love it and it's a beautiful beautiful picture there's a lot of imagery there there's a lot of metaphors there about this 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 baby Jesus and we we kind of get baby and king and all that stuff kind of sort of uh, entangled and we get this kind of unique idea about what kind of king he is let me take you from that magi who kneels before this baby king and worships him and declares him as the king of the Jews. Let me take you far, far into the distant future, further than you and I are now. Let's take our Bibles and let's move over to Revelation chapter 19, all right? We see Jesus in Revelation chapter 19, not wrapped in swaddling clothes, uh, but wearing a robe dipped in blood. Let me, let me read it to you. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Uh, and none of this is made up. All right, this is right out of, out of the book of Revelation. It says, Then I saw heaven open. This is the vision here of John. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. 
and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head there are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Wow. This is a long way from baby Jesus. (laughs) Is it not? This is a long way away from home, if you will. If if you picture this in your minds, and when you think about Christ in this way, when we think about Christ, we think about forgiveness, we think about grace, we don't really create space for this. We, we, don't, we don't really go that far most of the time. Matter of fact, some of you have never gone into Revelation. Some of you have never read that particular... You, some of you haven't read the end of the story. And some of you are like, I don't want to read that. I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to hear that stuff. So we, we don't create space for this. We, but this is how He will return. In fact, so terrifying is his presence at the second advent that the bible says those who are outside the kingdom will flee to the mountains but it doesn't stop there it says the mountains will flee before the coming of the lord now if the mountains are afraid folks you need to take a thought about this idea of this king of kings and lord of lords and his return We need to see this Jesus as He is. We need to see Him as as God presents Him. We need to see Him as God intends us to see Him. We need to open our eyes to the reality that, yes, He is a king, but He's not some sweet little soft king. As it's said in one movie, He's not safe. In some sense of the word. And yet, He is the safest entity you could possibly run to. He is your refuge and your high tower. He is your hope. He is your truth. He is your light. He is your foundation. He is everything that you need in this life to give you hope and peace and a future. And so everything that is there for us in provision from Almighty God is found in King Jesus. And we've presented Him In so many pictures. In so many ways. And he is a good shepherd. He is the light of the world. He is the vine by which you and I are grafted in. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about it. But he is that servant. As king he he doesn't lose that, that imagery of servant. He is all of these things that we have talked about. But at the end of the day when he comes back, it's stamped, it's established, it's etched, it's tattooed, it's whatever word you want to use. But the reality is that name is on his thigh. He bears it as he comes riding on a warrior's horse and he is coming to do business. And you and I need to be in allegiance to this soon coming king. Now, sandwiched in that, this this magi visit of this beautiful little babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, this magi visit. Probably he's not in swaddling anymore at this time. This is probably a time a a bit after the the birth, and they're probably in a home, and these magi probably come to this home where this this star sits over it, and, and there in that place, they come in and they worship him and present their, their gifts to him. All right. So, but, but we have this picture of, of the Magi. And then we have this, this second advent and this Jesus who is this warrior king who is coming back in judgment, if you will. 
and, 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 and redeeming his people and establishing uh, in time a new Jerusalem, a new world order, if you will. But somewhere in there, there is this moment that is sandwiched where we see in John chapter 12, as Pastor Dave read to you, we see something happening here that is quite unique. Jesus begins to descend down to Jerusalem. Or up to Jerusalem. Ascend up to Jerusalem, Okay. He's getting ready to go into this final uh, epic moments uh, of his life. And, and, and Mary has just anointed him in Bethany. She's just, she's just given this anointing to, to, to Jesus, which, which was irritating to Judas, by the way. He couldn't understand the cost. Why would, you, why would you allow that cost? And Jesus says, it's for my burial. He is, he is looking that way. He is already, his eyes are upon that. And, and after that happens, it says the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that verse 12 uh, of, of John chapter 12 says that, that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem and they hear about it. So it says in verse 13, they took branches of, of, of palm trees and they went out and they, they meet him there crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king. Blessed, they say it. Blessed is the king. And they declare once again this kingship. And Jesus, as this is all happening, is, is, is sitting himself upon a young donkey. Just as it's written, this passage says of this, 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 this uh, piece from, from the Old Testament here. Don't be afraid, Israel. Don't be afraid. Your king is coming. He's coming on the, on, on the, the donkey's colt. He's coming as it says. He's coming as it's prophetically spoken of. And his disciples, they didn't, they didn't understand all of these things, okay? But let's parse this out just a little bit. Let's, let's see what's, what's actually going on here. I want us to just camp here in these verses uh, as, as we come back to them here. Uh, and and let's, let's stay right here in these years that, that Jesus walked on earth for a little bit here, okay? And then we'll close. Palestine, during the time of Jesus, was like a pressure cooker. Politically in particular, all right? Herod the Great, this, this king that I talked about that was so evil, he was king of Judah. He served actually as a, as a puppet for Caesar Augustus because all of Israel was under the, domi- the, the dominion or the domination of, of the Roman Empire. But, but from about 700 years before Christ, Israel had kind of been, been split up. Part of the nation being conquered by Assyria and part or, or the rest of it being conquered by Babylon. And the prophet Malachi was the last prophet to speak, and that had been 400 years back before Jesus. That was the last powerful prophetic word that had come to the Israelites, okay? Now, 33 years before this passage that we are camped in right now, that's sandwiched between these two identities of Jesus as king, all right? Uh, this is the place we're reading today. This is where the pressure cooker has gotten even worse, if you will. Herod was the Jewish ruler, you know, the, the only person that, that Jesus didn't speak to, by the way, when he was addressed. Pilate was the Roman governor. There were corrupt priests. There were oppressive religious leaders. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees. All of this is creating this very volatile kind of political and religious atmosphere here in all of this. And it says in John 12 that on the next day when the... Cl- the large crowd comes out and, and they, they hear that Jesus is there. Why is there such a large crowd? Well, it's a festival. This, this, is, this is festival time. This is, this is major. This is the Passover, all right? We talked about the, Jesus being the Passover lamb in one of our earlier sermons, all right? So, so here he is. It, it's, it's Sunday. It's six days before Jesus is crucified. This large crowd has come to the festival. And, and the Jews came out. And, and hey, the Jews came from everywhere. They came from the ends of the earth practically, all right, to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. On this particular Passover, there would have been Jews there who had never been to Passover in Jerusalem before, but they were there just for that purpose, to celebrate it there. There are Jews in other parts of the world. There are Jews today 
living in other parts of the world who celebrate the Passover. And here's what they declare when they observe the Passover. They say, this year here, next year in Jerusalem. Because it's in the heart of the Jewish people to return to the holy city and to experience the Passover within the city itself. So, so here we have this large crowd gathering here. And the Bible says that this particular group who gathered where Jesus was present, they had heard that he was there and they had come there. It says they took these palm branches and they went out to meet him. That's in verse 13. These palm branches, listen, two centuries earlier, had become a national symbol and they indicated this sort of fervent hope. Read, read, read historically here, all right? There are accounts where uh, these palm branches meant something to the Israelites, to the, to the Jews. And, and that, that, the idea was that there was this hope inside of every Jewish person that there would be indeed this messianic kind of liberator who would arrive on the scene. This person would come. And they would do what no one else had been able to do. All right? So let's take our, our little time machine here and let's go back to about 170 years before Jesus. All right? Antioch Epiphanes was a Greek king who had attacked and destroyed Jerusalem and put many of its inhabitants to, to death. All right? Mostly in, in very cruel and, and horrific, uh, terrible ways. He ordered soldiers. Listen to this. He ordered soldiers um, to, to enter the Jewish temple and to slaughter a pig considered very unclean by the Jews on the altar of the Lord. And they set the pig ablaze and they tried to make uh, some Jewish men eat some of the meat. The men refused. And, and uh, the accounts say that he cut their tongues out, he scalped them, he cut their, their hands and feet and he burned them on the altar of the Lord. That is so horrific. I'm sorry if, if that messes with some of you, but, but that's the reality of some of the kinds of things that the Jews were facing, all right, uh, as, as, as time went by. All right, so after this, the Jews begin this war of independence uh, under the, the Maccabean leaders. Now, you don't find this in our Bible. Uh, you would have to find it in history or, or in the book of Maccabees. There are accounts of this. Uh, you can, can read them there. Um, but these armies were defeating uh, uh, this, this evil ruler that was set against them, if you will, all right? And so um, un this all happened sort of under the, the might of the Maccabees. And I realize I'm taking some liberties here and sharing this, this with you like this. But Jerusalem was freed from this, this, this wretchedness of, of this man Antiochus Epiphanes. And, and the people had entered into the, the city with palm branches and palms of praise. The, the, the Jewish accounts, I said, are in the, in the book of Maccabees, but, uh, but the Jews themselves, many of them talk about this and they share this in, in the generations. And uh, Hanukkah is part of the commemoration of, of the very successful revolt. All right? Now, here's what they said. They kept shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This is verse 13. Hosanna. The Hebrew ex expression here is literally used like, like it was before. Save now. Save now. They, they wanted Jesus to save them. Just as, as there had been liberation in the past, these people are wanting liberation. They're wanting it now. And, and, and so they begin to speak these words out. And, and here they use the term blessed. It means to speak well of, to praise one. It's the same word used for eulogy sometimes, all right? The interesting thing is, is that Jesus is, in a sense, being eulogized before he actually dies. In the sense, blessed is Jesus. Blessed is the King, the one who is going to liberate us. And verse 15 says, just as it is written, you see this quote from, from the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Don't be afraid. Look, your king is coming. And the people are looking for it. This is what they want. They want a Messiah. They're searching for a Savior. And they're expecting Jesus to come into Jerusalem and clean house. They are expecting something major to happen here. They thought they had the solution and they had Jesus. He had, think about it, he had fed the people. He had healed the sick. He had raised the dead. He came to dwell in the hearts of men and women. 
and to, to re- recreate them in God's image. Jesus came to change people's hearts. But these people wanted him to change the environment. He wanted, they wanted him to change the culture. They wanted him to change the government. They wanted him to change the religious system. They wanted him to wipe all this mess out and reestablish something new and liberate them out of this place they were in. If we'd been in Jesus' time... And we were there in a sense just now as we talked about this. We, we see it, all right? But let's come back to our time. What would we expect if Jesus came today? Look, think about the world. Think about the America that we are in right now in election time. It's crazy right now, isn't it? Jesus could end war. Jesus could end poverty. Jesus could end homelessness. He could eliminate stress, financial stress, marital stress, work stress, emotional stress, family conflict, fear. But what he did back then was go to the cross and sacrifice his life for us so that we could be transformed. Jesus came to change people's hearts. He came to be the king of your heart. He came to be the Lord of your life. He, he came to liberate you in the, in the deepest sense of the word. And, and folks, our core purpose as a church family is, is spiritual transformation of individuals, of families, of our community, of the world for the glory of God. This is our mission statement. For the glory of Jesus Christ. To glorify Jesus Christ. We make disciples in our neighborhood and beyond. This is, this is what we are all about. And, and what I'm saying to you is today you and I need to understand the kind of king that we are serving and give our allegiance and let him change us. Let him change us. By changing us, he changes our situation. He changes our families. He changes this church. He changes this neighborhood. He changes this community. He'll change the world through people who will allow him to be Lord and king of their lives. And through his death on the cross, he makes this way for us to have this relationship with God. Makes the way clear, clean, right there. Through his resurrection, he gives you the hope of resurrection from the dead and eternal life. This is what you live for, people. And through his Holy Spirit, he changes us in this day, in this hour in which we are living. We don't, we don't like this. We don't like where the message goes now. Because we don't like this kind of allegiance. And the reason that we in particular don't like it over many in the, in the earth realm is that we live in a democracy. And because we live in a democracy, we really don't like a monarchy. A monarchy is, is a form of government which was very common during the ancient and medieval times. A supreme power is bestowed on an individual. And it can be absolute as it is with Jesus. He is the, the head of the spiritual state. He is the head of our spiritual government. And He holds this for eternity. The leader who is called a monarch is wholly set apart from all other members of state, if you will. The monarch typically makes all of the decisions as opposed to the people making the decisions. And we struggle with this kind of allegiance. You mean I have to do everything he says? Yes. <laughs> I have to live under his truths? Yes. I have to completely die to myself and he gets rule and leadership over me? Yes. And this is where we live it's not a place we go in and out. Well, I'll visit the kingdom of God. And when I'm there, I'll submit and I'll live under that rule. But I'm going to step out of it from time to time. And I'm going to live in a different world, which would have to be your kingdom. But you can't live in your kingdom and pray his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It doesn't work that way. You can only pray that prayer if you have an allegiance to this God, this King, this Jesus. 
And Jesus has not come to us as a duly elected democratic leader who is of the people, nor has he been elected by the people, nor is he for the purposes of the people. But I want you to understand something. Neither did he come as the kind of king as those who were following him expected him to be. And I want you to understand something today. Jesus very well may not be the king you expected, but he is the king you must give allegiance to. He is the king you must follow. He is the king who has the ultimate authority over your life, your choices, your decision-making. Every aspect of your life is for him. And that puts you in a place of decision. Now, I've tried to convince you that he is the king. He is the king not only of the Jews, but he is your king and my king. And I've tried to convince you that he is a very unique king and that he is a king come from God and the only one. There is no other. He is the Son of God, which we talked about several in the series back, several sermons in the series back. All right? He is the king of glory. He is the king who has come and who will come again. And he is that king who will come riding on that horse with that inscription upon his thigh that he is king over all kings and Lord over all lords. He transcends all authority as the Son of God. Let me try to wrap this up for you. There's there's a book called The Last Week written by Marcus Borg and, and John Dominic Crossan. Um, it talks about a second procession in Jerusalem in this year of the Passover in which Jesus went to his death. It happened apparently on the same day that Jesus went into Jerusalem. Now imagine that sort of entry, that kind of spectacle going on. It went from, or it came in from the western side of the city, opposite from the side uh, which Jesus enters, all right? Um, Pontius Pilate leads Roman soldiers on horseback and on foot. Roman soldiers. Now, each soldier was clad in leather armor. Uh, that armor was obviously polished to a high gloss. Uh, on each centurion's head, uh, it says there were hammered helmets that they gleamed in the bright sunlight. At their sides, there were sheaths in their scabbards. There were swords that were crafted from the hardest steel. And in their hands, each centurion carried a spear. Or if he was an archer, a bow with a sling of arrows across his back. Drummers beat out the cadence of march. For this was no ordinary entry into Jerusalem. Pilate, as governor of the region, was included not only in Judea, but Samaria and Idumea. He knew it was standard practice for the Roman governor of a foreign territory to be in its capital for religious celebrations. Now, it's the beginning of Passover. Indeed, it is a strange Jewish festival that is happening here and the Romans allowed it to happen. But the Romans are very aware, if you will, that this celebration was a celebration of liberation for the Jews from another empire, the empire of Egypt. And so Pilate had to be in Jerusalem at this time. The Romans had occupied this land by defeating the Jews and deposing their king only 80 years before. Uprisings were always in the air. Things were always going on. There was always talk out there, okay? And the last major uprising, long before Pilate's time, was, was just after the death of Herod the Great. So we have all of these things going on in the political arena and in the religious arena. And here comes Jesus from one side of Jerusalem. And here comes Pilate, the governor, from the other side. And Jesus is on a donkey. 
And, and there's, there's not much to do other than this, this, this group of people are declaring something that is amazing. And, and, and how they all got it, we don't quite understand other than they got it from the Father and from, from history and from prophecies. But they're declaring Him King of Kings. They're, they're saying, blessed is the King of the Jews. And He's coming into Jerusalem. But over here... There's this amazing movement of warriors ready, able, capable, armed, equipped to, to dash any uprising, any, anything that would be happening that would be detrimental or threatening to the government of the Roman Empire. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that very likely there were people who were standing around Jesus who were expecting exactly that other type of processional. I dare say there were some there who were looking for it and longing for it in their heart. We, we want this Jesus. See, they wanted this Jesus that we talked about that's coming in the second advent. But Jesus says, no, I don't come that way. I come as a servant king. Now I reference Pastor Dave's message on Jesus' servant leader. I come to serve. I come to do what no other ruler, no other emperor, no other leader in all the world has ever been able to do or will ever be able to do. I come to liberate you from your sin. I come to take away your shame. I come to take away your guilt. I come to restore you. I come to make you the whole person that God the Father intends you to be. And I do it through my death and resurrection. If you're going to liberate us, you're going to get rid of the oppressor. You're going to take the oppressor out. You're going to reestablish a new order. There's going to be a new kingdom. We're going to be able to have fun and enjoy it and, and feast and celebrate it and get liberated from it. Jesus says, no. In my kingdom, if you want to be liberated, follow me. The one who is willing to lose his life will gain it. You see what he did? He just turned a kingdom upside down. Just turned it completely upside down. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you follow me, you'll follow my commandments. If you have anything of value, You'll feed the poor. You'll love to the point that when someone strikes you on one cheek, you'll turn the other. These things don't make sense. These things are not logical. And yet they are, they are the dynamics of the kingdom of God. And this Jesus has come to be your deliverer and my deliverer. On that day, it appears there could have been two processions into Jerusalem. Two kings acknowledged. A natural king in the earth realm with all kinds of authority and ulterior motives and wickedness of heart. And another king who is the son of God who comes to liberate those who will believe and follow. And here's the question. Which procession are you in? Where are you today? Are you with this King Jesus? Have you given allegiance to this King Jesus in which you avow to him the whole of your life and allow him to consume you to the point that you have offered yourself a living sacrifice to him, meaning that just as he died literally on the cross, you die figuratively in your commitment and your allegiance to him? Or are you still trying to find it in a world of power and wealth and prestige and success and all of these other things trying to get this liberation that you so desperately need and your soul cries out for. Hosanna. Blessed is he 
who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who is king of the Jews. Amen. Anne, you want to come and get ready? Anne's going to come and she's going to share the gospel with you. And I want to encourage you today, really let the Holy Spirit speak to you. This Spirit of God today is asking for your allegiance to this Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Bill. That was a beautiful picture of what our God has said to us. The message that comes from ages um, before us, from the beginning of time. God wanted and has always wanted a relationship with each one of us. He has um, made it no secret that he loves us. He's said that he knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought in your mind. Before a word is on your tongue, he knows it. And so Pastor Bill has laid out for us very carefully um, a decision that every man since Adam has needed to make. And this decision is, do I follow God? Do I love God? Do I serve God? Or me? Do I serve myself? It's a decision that we want you to think about. Don't, don't jump in because it was emotional, which it is. Don't jump in because it sounds like a good idea, but it is a good idea. Come in to the family of God because you are choosing to come in. This is the thing that God wants you to do. He wants a relationship, but he knows that when you step in, those soldiers are coming in from the West as well. And it's not easy. It is a battle. It is a forever battle. However... As Pastor Bill said, if you look at the book of Revelation, you will see your king on a white horse. You will see your king surrounded by the glory of God, seated at the right hand of his father. You will see and hear the angels as they sing, Worthy is the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy are you, almighty God. This is the gospel. I love you. I set this decision before you. You can come and be part of my family, but it is your choice. And so the prayer team will come forward. If you have made this decision or you're wanting to know more about it, please come and talk to us. We, we want to talk to you about it. We want to share the gospel with you through the word of God, through our hearts. And so after that, you are dismissed after prayer. Heavenly Father, We praise you, for you alone are worthy. You alone are holy. Who is like you, almighty God? We thank you, Lord, for this week where we see your Passover. We can think about all the things that you have said and done in your word. We can come to our own decision. And once we do, the freedom is amazing. The love is overwhelming. And we thank you, God. In Jesus' name.